Do open your Bibles, please, at uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In my first week at university, all the new students went along to a big hall where all the different clubs and societies had tables set up, stalls, Freshers Fair it was called, and they tried to persuade you to join them. You passed by the, the sort of rowing club and the amateur dramatics and, and, and whatever it is, all these different clubs and societies, and they, each one would sort of be sort of touting for you to join them. And I went along to the stall, the table for the Christian Union, and at the Christian Union I was, I was told that of all the different societies, the Christian Union was the only one that existed for the benefit of its non-members. All the other clubs existed for the benefit of the members, those who were part of the club, but the Christian Union existed for the benefit of its non-members. Because the great aim of the Christian Union was evangelism. What is evangelism? And one little boy got confused uh, as he heard, we're going out to do vandalism. <laughs> I think sometimes Christians think of it in the same way, <laughs> sort of embarrassing and antisocial. But it's not vandalism. Evangelism is sharing the good news of Christianity with people who are listening. But evangelism is sharing the good news of Christianity with people who are listening. And as followers of Jesus, our first priority should be to follow his last command. Matthew chapter 28, at the end of that gospel, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Get people following Jesus. That is our, our goal uh, as local churches, to see people following Jesus and then to help them to continue to do that. But how does that happen? What does that look like? Well, Perhaps the very first example of evangelism is in those very verses that we read earlier from John chapter 1. This is the account of how the very first followers of Jesus started following him. And so these verses are very helpful for us as Christians as we consider this task. But they're, also this, is a, this account is a great place to start if you're not following Jesus but want to find out more. I'm not assuming that you're all uh, uh, followers of Jesus here this evening, uh, but maybe you're curious, who is Jesus? How can we know that that's who he is? What does he want? What does he give? What is involved in following him? These verses have the answers to those questions. So then this, this evening's message has something for followers, something for Christians, something for seekers or for the curious. And I know that there's at least one person here who God really wants to hear this message. Because he, he'll have heard it twice. Because I preached it this morning. Clearly God wants me to hear and listen to uh, this. But hopefully also something for you. Something for followers. Something for the seekers or curious. In fact, seven things to see this evening. That's always dangerous, isn't it? To announce seven points on an evening. We're going to move uh, fairly promptly, aren't we? Number one. The first followers were personally pointed to Jesus or invited to meet him. The first followers were personally 
pointed to Jesus or invited to meet him. I wonder if you saw that there in verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples looking at Jesus as he walked. John said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Pointed to Jesus personally or in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, first of all, straight away found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah and he brought him to Jesus. In verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. And Nathanael said, da, 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 da. Philip said to him, come and see. In each case, there's this personal invitation. Personal invitation. Now, every week, perhaps, you get invitations. Maybe they come through your door. Maybe they drop into your inbox. Uh, invitation for a new takeaway or to go to a meeting or to join something or go to a concert or a sale or whatever it might be. And most of them you ignore, don't you? But a personal invitation is different, isn't it? When someone says to you, come along with me to so-and-so, that personal connection is often the thing that makes all the difference. Gives you a confidence. Here's a friend who wants the best for me. Here's someone I know and trust. Maybe I will go along after all. It's unfamiliar. I'm not on my usual territory, but I'm not on my own either. Uh, I've been personally invited. Jesus calls his followers to go and make disciples, not, not to wait for people to come. And a personal invitation is still the best way to encourage people to consider Jesus. That's great news for those of us who think, I'm not very outgoing, I'm not very good at talking to strangers, I'm not, 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 uh, that's fine. We speak to people we know. Who could you speak to? Who could you invite? John the Baptist spoke to people who respected him. Maybe you're in a situation where there are people who look up to you, who respect you, have some position of authority or leadership or whatever. Andrew invited a family member. Maybe there are family members, either immediate or further afield, uh, that you could speak to. Philip invited Nathaniel, presumably a friend or a uh, neighbour. The first followers were personally pointed to Jesus or invited to meet him. And then number two, the newest Christian. The newest Christian can bring others to know Jesus. I could have said the youngest Christian, but I don't really mean young or old in terms of age, but how long a person has been a Christian. The, the newest Christian can bring others to know Jesus. Soon as Andrew started following Jesus, he told his brother Simon. It's 41. He first, straight away, found his own brother Simon and said to him, and if we read carefully, we see that this was the very same day. The same day that Andrew met Jesus, he speaks to his brother Simon. And as soon as Philip started following Jesus, he told his friend Nathaniel. Verse 43, the following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And then in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. But between those two things, Philip has spoken to Nathaniel. That day, the next day perhaps, uh, very soon after. Maybe Philip was... The other one of those two disciples of John that are mentioned in verses 35 and 37. Verse 40 tells us what uh, Andrew goes to do. And then in verse 43, Philip is mentioned without introduction. So maybe he was the other of those two. I'm not sure. Uh, but certainly there was no delay. Well, why should there be? It was so natural 
still is. The newest Christian can bring others to know Jesus. <clears throat> Inviting others to come to Jesus is something for all Christians. No Christian is too inexperienced. If you've experienced Jesus, that's the qualification. You don't need any other. Now, it's not like those jobs where there's a training period. You know, sometimes that's good, isn't it? You, you, you rock up at the hospital. You, you hope that uh, the surgeon has been trained. Um, uh, but uh, it's not like that with sharing Jesus. It's more like people after an earthquake. You know, someone who's pulled out of the rubble and then they want to get involved. They want to be helping, do what they can to help others who are uh, round about. Now, sometimes young Christians... And sometimes new Christians, and indeed sometimes lots of other Christians who are neither young nor new, think to themselves, what if I say something wrong? Well, that's not a problem, because God uses weak people, and he uses stumbling words. You could say that John the Baptist was a pro. He was called to be a public herald, behold the Lamb of God, uh, who takes away the sin of the world. He's, he's pointed out to Jesus. But it, it wasn't that way with <laughs> Philip, was it? In fact, you could say that Philip made two blunders. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. So good, so far so good. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus wasn't from Nazareth. He was from Bethlehem originally and he wasn't Joseph's son. It's not a good hit rate so far, is it? But Philip proved just as successful, just as successful as John in making disciples. Because inviting people to Jesus is not a task for professionals. It's not for the professional who doesn't know your friend. It's for you who do know your friend. It's not about slick methods. It's not about knowing all the answers. So what is it about? Well, number three, the heart of evangelism is talking about Jesus. The heart of evangelism is talking about Jesus these verses how are the others introduced to jesus well we saw john back in verse 29 behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world this is he of whom i said and he goes on speaking about jesus behold the lamb of god and we have in verse 41 don't we andrew finds simon we found the messiah or we had it uh, uh nathaniel in verse uh, philip rather in verse 45 we found him of whom moses in the law and also the prophets wrote <coughs> These new followers talk about Jesus. They talk about him directly and enthusiastically. In my experience, it's easier to talk about church, but less effective. We can talk about our own experience, as long as we're talking about our experience of Jesus. Imagine I was selling you a hoover at the door. I remember someone once knocked on my door to try and sell me a hoover, which is more expensive than anything I could imagine spending my money on in my house. But there it was. This hoover. But if someone knocked on your door to sell you a hoover, you would be very surprised if they started talking about how tidy the warehouse was. You are interested in the, in the heart of the business. You want to know about the thing. Let's talk about Jesus, not simply church. The heart of evangelism is talking about Jesus. But we must remember who we're talking to. Take verse 45. We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. That was a very appropriate description to give to a religious Jew. But it wouldn't mean anything to most people today. So what might you say about Jesus? What might we say about Jesus? He's a rock. He's reliable, stable, in a bewildering world. And everything seemed to be shaking. He was someone firm and reliable. That he's a shepherd. 
cares, guides. It's like living water. You were thirsty and he found him to be satisfying, gave you purpose amidst all the empty promises of our pleasure-seeking consumer culture. He's a gentle friend. Healing broken lives and hurting hearts. But he's like a fountain. You were guilty. Now you're not guilty anymore. He's washed away that guilt and that remorse. That he's the truth. In a world of conflicting voices and fake news and exaggeration or spin. That he's the resurrection and the life. You don't need to be afraid of death anymore. That he's the way. That he's the only safe route to God. He's the only path to eternal joy. The point is to talk about Jesus. Directly and enthusiastically. Now perhaps even that sounds very daunting. I wouldn't know where to start. Well at the very least you could say. Come and see. Come and see. People meet Jesus in two places. They meet him in the Bible. And they meet him among his gathered people. So you could give someone a gospel. And offer to read it with them. Here's a, I'm sure... I'm sure that if you go to one of your leaders and say, I want a gospel to give away to a neighbour, there will not be pushback. There will not be, I'll bet you get it for free. In fact, I can absolutely guarantee it. You will get free gospels if you can put them in people's hands. Yeah? Say, why didn't you read this? Every self-respecting atheist should have read this at least once. You know, this is, this is, you know, this is the story of the man who, you know, B.C. A.D., the whole human calendar? Surely you, you don't hold views about him without even of reading the source document. You can do it in less time than it takes to watch one of the Lord of the Rings. Give a gospel. Have a read of that. Ask someone, have you read a gospel since you've been an adult? I always put the since you've been an adult because, you know, oh, I heard it in school. Have you, have you ever read one of the gospels since, you, since you've been an adult? So many people haven't. Put one in their hand and say, have a look at that. Why don't we have a coffee? What did you think of it? Or invite them along to church. Two places people meet Jesus, in the Bible and among his gathered people. Come and see. Come and hear. But what sort of response will you get? Well, that takes us to our fourth point. The first followers met with scepticism. The first followers met with scepticism. Now, we don't know how Andrew got on when he first approached his brother Simon, but we do know what response Philip got. Now, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's pretty deflating, isn't it, to his, uh, to his uh, uh, sharing? No. No, 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 no. There we are. The person is a persistent, and therefore we are now in aeroplane mode. Do excuse me? The first, it's because I don't have an evening service, you see. That's, uh, it's not an auto-off. Um, very deflating, wasn't it? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What was behind Nathaniel's negative response? Well, maybe it was personal prejudice. Maybe there was a bit of village rivalry between Cana, where Nathaniel came from, and Nazareth. Like telling someone round here, infusing about North London. <laughs> you know what it's like, don't you? There we are. Maybe Nathaniel just couldn't believe it. Imagine telling someone, you met King Charles in Lidl. <laughs> no, 
Who are we joking? Or maybe it was a reasonable objection. After all, Nathaniel knew his Bible. Presumably, Nathaniel knew that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. But whatever the reason, it was hardly an enthusiastic first response, was it? The first followers of Jesus met with scepticism. And you may experience the same. So don't be surprised. You know, people may be negative for all sorts of different reasons, including those reasons we thought about in Nathaniel's case. Maybe prejudice, we're all shaped by our upbringing, our environment, the things we've seen on the media or heard other people say. Those parents who say, well, I'm bringing up my kids to make their own choices, except there's no Bible in the home, they've never been to church, and the only time God's name is mentioned is when there's an accident with the DIY. Is that bringing up someone to, to make their own choice? No. People may be prejudiced. People may just find it unbelievable. The gospel is so different from everything people have been brought up to think about in our secular society. That there is a God. That he can be known. That there is a life beyond the grave. Some people may be negative due to past experiences of Christians or church. Or they may have genuine questions things that they really wrestle with and, and struggle with and, and need answers to. And for all those reasons, you might well meet with scepticism. First followers met with scepticism. So don't be surprised. But don't be discouraged either. Philip might not have all the answers, but he wasn't put off. Nathaniel might have an argument, but Philip had an experience. And so he continued to invite. And he was well rewarded. What happened? What happened? Well, this is number five. The scepticism vanished when Jesus showed that he reads hearts. The scepticism vanished when Jesus showed that he reads hearts. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know what it's like when you listen to someone, they're having a phone call and you can hear one end. You can hear what they're saying, but you can't hear what's on the other end of the line. And you sort of, what's going on? Or, or you come into the middle of a conversation and you're just trying to catch your bearings. Well, it's hard to know exactly what's going on, isn't it? Well, it's like that in these verses. Why does Jesus start with that opening word? Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Why, why did Jesus' words in verse 48 evoke such a strong response in verse 49? What is verse 51 about? Angels ascending and descending. What, what, what? Can we make sense of it? Can we fill in the gaps? Well, let me give you a suggestion. We can't know for sure. A little bit speculative. Uh, but I think it does make sense. At least it's going to be something like this. Perhaps under the fig tree, Nathaniel was thinking about the story of Jacob from the book of Genesis. Let me explain why I think he probably was. Well, Jacob was a twin. When Jacob was born, uh, he came out gripping his brother's heel. Out came his older brother, and then out came Jacob, holding onto his foot. And so he was given the name Jacob, which means at the heels. Uh, but grabbing the heel was also a way of, of 
um, uh, of uh, saying that he deceives someone, he cheats someone, like, like we might say he trips someone up in a metaphorical sense. And so Jacob's name didn't just mean at the heels, it also meant deceiver. Jacob was a man full of deceit. Jacob by name, Jacob by nature. That's the word uh, that is used back in Genesis to describe him, that same word that Jesus uses there, deceit. And yet in the end, Jacob was given a new name. His new name was Israel. Israel, that, that word Israel is fairly rare in the, in the Gospels, in the New Testament. But here it is. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Here's an Israel in whom there is no Jacob. God worked in Jacob to transform him and to make him a new man. And perhaps Nathaniel, in his secret place under the fig tree, had been praying that he would be an Israel and not a Jacob. That he would be a man of truth and not deceit. And yet here was Jesus reading his thoughts. Now we're just guessing, but it's a pretty sensible guess. Because it's not just the Israel-deceit link. Jesus refers to the story of Jacob again. His words in verse 51 are a direct echo of Genesis 28. Jacob has escaped from home after cheating his father and his brother, uh, and he's asleep uh, under the stars, and he has a dream, and in his dream he sees a ladder, a ladder stretching from where he was, or a stairway from where he was, up to, to heaven, to where God was. And there were angels ascending and descending on the ladder. It's the only place in the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament where we have that description of angels ascending and descending and so that will be another Jacob link but whether or not we've guessed exactly right we can certainly say that Jesus's words showed Nathan and Nathaniel that Jesus knew all about him how do you know me how do you know me Nathaniel had come to check out Jesus and suddenly Nathaniel realized that he's the one under scrutiny Jesus knew his heart and so his skepticism vanished replaced by this enthusiastic faith that's often what happens skepticism vanishes when jesus shows that he reads hearts this is so encouraging nathaniel came and saw we don't need you don't need to persuade people of the truths of christianity of the identity of jesus of the truthfulness of all of these things you you don't need that that's quite reassuring isn't it that's quite a relief because we're not able to we can't jesus can do the persuading what is needed is for people to encounter him by reading his word or being around his <coughs> gathered people. Time and again, people come to check out Jesus only to find that they are under the spotlight. The Bible exposes the motives of their hearts, shows up their inner idols or their emptiness. Jesus will do the persuading. Once again, our prayer should be that people would encounter Jesus. That's what we want. We want them getting them reading the gospel, getting them coming along to hear God's word expanded. Let Jesus show that he reads hearts. Now, the sixth point I can only touch on, uh, and encourage you to follow up for yourself by pondering these verses again in your own time. But the point six is this: this, this Jesus is the promised King. This Jesus is the sin-removing Son of God. Even in these verses, the verses that we read from verse 29 onwards are, are full of so many helpful descriptions of Jesus. You could uh, go through them and, and write down each of these descriptions. Some of the descriptions tell us who Jesus is. So verse 38, uh, they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, 
teacher. Jesus is teacher. He brings truth. Or verse 41. We have found the Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one, the Christ, the king that God had promised and who God would send, who was prophesied in the Old Testament. That's what Philip says in verse 45, the one about whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets wrote. It's interesting, when Nathaniel calls Jesus the, the son of God, he's that's just another term for king of Israel, the Messiah term. Now, when, when John includes it in his gospel, John has bigger thoughts of what it means to be the son of God. We, we know that because we've already read in the very early chapter, in the very opening verses of John's gospel. Son of God means something huge. But on Nathaniel's lips, just meant the king of Israel, the son of God. Uh, this is my son. Uh, 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 that was how the, uh, the Old Testament king in David's line could be described. The king of Israel, the Messiah. And yet then in verse 51... Jesus replaces that term son of God with the term son of man. Jesus wants to put his own meaning on Messiah. He doesn't want to be defined by the expectations of the Jewish people of the time. And so he uses this cryptic description, son of man, pointing back to Daniel chapter 7. and A, a, a heavenly figure who receives glory from the ancient of days. Jesus was no mere human king, but a divine king. In that respect, Son of Man has a, says more about Jesus than Son of God in, on Jesus' lips at this point in the Gospel. Jesus is one with God as his Father, and yet he's coming to the world in human nature. So there are these descriptions as to who Jesus is, and then there are these descriptions that hint at what Jesus has come to do. Verse 51, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man in the dream it was the ladder but now it's the son of man what what's the way to get from where you are to where god is it's jesus this is where your prayers ascend this is how his blessings come down jesus is the link between heaven and earth connection in with the divine and then verse 35 behold the lamb of god or earlier the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world in the Old Testament, how the lambs take away sins. Well, they die, don't they? That was what was going to happen to Jesus. So many descriptions, so many titles, so many words, even in these verses, uh, which point us to Jesus' identity and mission. One final point. Let's uh, just remind ourselves what we've seen. Personal invitation. The newest Christian, the newest Christian. The heart of it is talking about Jesus you might meet with scepticism, but then if people encounter Jesus, Jesus shows that he reads hearts and we see something of his identity in these verses. One final point to make, and it's this. Jesus invites people to spend time with him to find out more. Jesus invites people to spend time with him to find out more, but he also decisively calls people to follow him. Sorry, that's about as unsnappy as you can get for a headed, isn't it? Well, these two ideas, the sort of come and find out more, follow me. There's these, this, these two aspects uh, that Jesus is doing there in verse 38. Then uh, two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? You know, I'm very allergic to red letter Bibles. This is a red letter Bible here. Usually it's a bad idea. It's all God's word even the black bits. 
But there is something striking about this, that this is the very first words of Jesus in John's Gospel. It's drawn our attention to that because it's in red. Uh, what do you see? That's the very first thing that Jesus says. John, John is a brilliant writer. Um, what do you seek? That's Jesus' opening gambit, maybe to you. This evening, what do you seek? And they said what they said. And he said to them, come and see. What are you looking for? Come and see. Come and see. Come and find out more. Look into it. Read one of the Gospels. Come to church. Let's talk. There's this, even today, Jesus is asking people the same searching question. What is it you're looking for? Can I ask you this evening? What are you looking for? What do you want from life? What are you after? Come and see, says Jesus. Come and meet me. So that same open invitation today. There's a time for saying, come and find out more. But there's also a decisive call. Jesus says to Philip, isn't it? Finding, Jesus found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now's the time. Maybe there's someone here for whom there's been a, a come and find out more. Come and see. Think about it. Maybe tonight's the night when, when Jesus is saying, follow me. You, you've, you've found out. You've come and you've seen. You can't deny who Jesus is. And he says, follow me. Give your life to me. Come after me. So there's these two things in that tremendously long seventh point title, which is almost as long as the content that I had under it. Um, Jesus invites people to spend time with him, to find out more, but he also decisively calls people to follow him. If I was American, they would all begin with the same letter. But we've struggled, haven't we? There we are. May all of us who are Christians be working with Jesus in that invitation and challenge. Now let me close with an encouragement because time has beaten us. You never know who you might tell. We don't hear much about Andrew in the New Testament. We don't have anything about him, I don't think, um, from uh, uh, after Acts chapter, chapter 1. We, 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 we don't hear much about Andrew. But he was the one who brought Peter to Jesus. We hear quite a lot about Peter. The great preacher on the day of Pentecost, the writer of the epistles, the great leader in the early church, an apostle. What a leader he became. And I wonder if any of you have heard of Ananias of Damascus. I said, well, who's your favourite Bible character? Ananias of Damascus? Probably not. Probably not your first choice. What do we know about Ananias of Damascus? Very, very little. But he was the one who introduced Paul to the Christians. You never know who you might tell. You never know who you might tell and what a difference they might make. But much more importantly, you never know what a difference you might make to that person's life, that person's future, that person's eternity. So be encouraged. The beginning, isn't it, of a new year. Pray and plan to make 2024 a year when you speak more about Jesus. The men in our church, uh, we have a book reading group and our next book we're studying later on this month or beginning of next month is a little book called Scattering Seeds of Hope. I don't know if you've come across that book by the late Jeremy Marshall. Scattering Seeds of Hope by ten for five or each. Really, it's, it's something on the front it says help with evangelism for the ineffective and discouraged. I thought that's, that's great, that's what I need. Um, it's a lovely book, really helpful, I've read it. Uh, May 2024, a year when you pray.
pray and plan for it to be a year when you speak more, speak more about Jesus. Start by practising, speaking about Jesus with one another. May all of us here who are Christians grow in this area and be, be encouraged. Maybe next time I'm preaching for you, if, if Jesus tarries and you won't be back, uh, we'll have news as, as to how God has blessed you. Maybe bless me.